Welcome to the Patient Flow Podcast, powered by Teletracking. On today's episode, we meet Linda Castelli and Luann Torelli of Health First in Melbourne, Florida. Linda is the supervisor of centralized patient logistics and centralized registration. Luann is the director of Vital Watch EICU operations. Both work extensively with teletracking in their roles with Health First, which was an early adopter of the technology. Let's listen in as they talk about the initial decision to introduce teletracking to their day-to-day logistics. I was actually in bed control in 1998. I started and everything was on paper. Literally, if someone opened our door, all of our placement paper requests would have been all over the place and we would have had to reorder them, reprioritize them and figure out who was what and where. We color-coded each piece of paper with boys and girls and levels of care and dirty colors for the rooms. I got invited to a demo by our EVS director at the time looking for a solution because the way we page DVS was I sent a message and a little dot matrix printer printed it in another thing down the hall and then a phone got picked up and they and it was just so manual and so cumbersome so he was looking for a solution for that saw the interaction with the bed placement knew I was looking for a solution invited me I literally walked out of the demo in the middle of it called my director said you have to come here we have to have this and uh, we went live in t- 1999, early 2000 is when we went live initially with the legacy version. And um, RIT would not support it, so I ended up building a lot of the early version. And then once they saw where teletracking was going, we got full buy-in, we centralized, and we've just taken off with the product ever since. So, yeah, we early on saw, oh, we are we need that bad. <laughs> Even before um, the Joint Commission focused on throughput, um, because we were literally, I, one of our um, vice presidents came in, sat with us, and said, if someone slams your door, we're pretty much in, in deep, as yet we are in deep crap here. <laughs> so who is in your center, your patient logistics center? What are um, the types of the roles So when the we center? first centralized, we brought registration, uh, bed control, the transfer center, the um, transfer access nurses, um, and we also had utilization review. Utilization review, there were some shortages with um, H, I mean, with um, case management at the facilities, so some of that work had to be added to some of our UR folks, so they kind of got put back out in the fields. Um, we still have access to them, computerized, everything's electronic now, but they're no longer co-located. We still miss them because they provided a lot of help with our incoming levels of care, making sure with the criteria that the correct beds were being used and, you know, helping us with that utilization. EIC was already at the corporate location. That was one of the deciding factors as to moving us to corporate because we saw even back then, before we realized how closely we could work with them, you know, helping us with the downgrades and making the ICU beds and utilizing our ICU beds better, um, so that was one of the decisions that brought us to move to that location, and now we're centralized, and now they want to move us again somewhere that's more hurricane-safe. <laughs> yeah. So you're actually in a very interesting spot, right? Can you tell us about where you're located? So we're on the Space Coast of Central Florida, which is 18 miles south of Cape yes. Kennedy, Cape Canaveral now. I'm aging myself, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and we're a first responder for the Cape, for anything that launches at um, any of the Cape facilities, as well as 
um, trauma level two. So uh, we are right there in the midst of it all. Um, That being said, we have a hospital. One of our community hospitals is located on a barrier island. And when the wind gets just a little breezy, we have to evacuate Cape Canaveral Hospital pretty much routinely. And we just did it recently with the threat of our most recent hurricane. Using your software, two people did it in 35 minutes. It was absolutely amazing. What we also have at the Cape is we also have one of the busiest ports in the nation. So we see a lot of patients that present from cruise ships. And they're they're usually very, very critical. So, again, it takes the coordination of the teams to bring the patients into the system and then move them through the system. Can you talk a little bit about the center that you run, the EICU? The EICU uh, has always been in the corporate facility, which is where we are. Traditionally, command centers and EICUs are not within the walls of a hospital system. They are remote. And we support 102 ICU beds from the EICU. And when we started our program in 2004, we are now in our 15th year of the EICU, third in the nation um, to to attain 15-year status. We had a um, pretty high length of stay in our ICUs. And working collaboratively over the years with the bedside teams, with doing that patient population management that we do, that links us to the command center and to the teletracking app, we've dropped our length of stay from what used to be 4.8 days to 2.2 days in our ICUs, which in turn has also decreased our hospital length of stays for the patients. And, you know, when you think of the length of stay, you, you want the people in and out of the hospital as rapidly as you can. The heart of me, the nurse, wants these moms and dads to go home, the aunts and uncles that get to go back to their families. And then the bean counter side, you know, when we look at it from have we avoided costs, when we did our numbers in 2018, we were at $110 million in cost avoidance from length of stay. And using various applications such as the EICU product that we use called eCare Manager and the teletracking app, each day we can come in and we pull up teletrack and we can see, okay, our PCU beds might be a little full, but I need to also move ICU out. So we start our initiative to start downgrading PCU patients by looking at them using the clinical um, aspects that our team does. And seeing the teletracking app each time, we, we can see the movement. We can see where we can place patients. Linda and I, our teams coordinate on care. Sometimes it's not an appropriate bed assignment. Or if we have what we call a rapid response, which is a patient deteriorating on the floors, and we send out the mobile device and we see the patient visually, they may be saying that patient needs an ICU, but we collaborate and we say, no, not so much. And and we find the right placement for the patient, which is what really facilitates patient flow and throughput. Have you seen any changes in your patient satisfaction scores? Patient satisfaction scores have gone up considerably for various reasons. When we first started our EIC, we did not have a two-way communication with them. It was us seeing the patient and the family, but them not seeing us. Now we are two-way where we see each other, we collaborate with the patient on their care, um, which was a huge benefit to HCAP scores for our organization. And I think patients, they don't want to be there. No one wants to be in the hospital. You know, we're renowned for horrible hospital food. No one wants to eat it. No (laughs) one wants to stop their routines. They want to go home. So, you know, having that command center with the ability to move patients through the system, you know, at a quicker pace, that's appropriate. And, And that's the key. Appropriate, it has to be. That's where the benefit is. 
decreased wait times have also increased patient satisfaction in our ERs tremendously. Getting those beds assigned quicker, the patients in the ER waiting rooms feel they're being seen and taken back into an ER room quicker, not sitting in the waiting room as long. So I think a lot of those patient satisfaction increases may be all throughout the system, not even realizing that it is tumbling down from those decreased wait times and increased in services and getting those services to the patients quicker. You have had such sustained success. How did you decide which initial metrics that you wanted to tackle? And then what improvements along the way did you make to achieve those goals? Ready to move is a big clinical indicator that we are still working through because everybody has a different understanding of ready to move. Um, So initially we wanted to get those wait times down, um, but now we've as we've been having discussions, you know, this one says ready to move is when the doctor puts an order in. Well, this one says it's a different time. So now we're working on really getting those ready to move times more accurate and standardized across the system so that when one ER says the patient's ready to move, it means the same as another ER is getting ready to move. So we had a lot of initial successes in decreasing the wait times. Now we're really going to drill down and get those wait times decreased even more, and see exactly who's waiting for what all throughout the spectrum of the whole system because we're using it for pretty much everything now. And you talked about some metrics that you were really proud of. Can you share some of those? The big three we look at usually from the EICU perspective is ICU length of stay and mortality um, and ventilator utilization. And we didn't really go into that at the center command center summit because it really was not applicable to it um, because these are just, that was getting patients off a ventilator. But length of stay was a big one, which, you know, we had talked about um, in addition to mortality. Right now, uh, my 2019 fiscal year data that I closed out showed that appropriately placing patients, appropriately giving them the care they need, and then moving through the the system, we have 3,000 lives that were saved over the course of our program. Now, these were patients using the Phillips analytic tools that were predicted to pass away in our ICUs, not even in the hospital, just in the ICU. So these 3,000 patients, because our team came together from every aspect of the care, from the start to when we sent them home, came together, we collaborated, they made it home where they shouldn't have. So, I mean, that to me, it always chokes me up when I say that because, you know, the heart of a nurse never changed. You know, I could be as high as I need to be in administration, but these are still our family. It's our community, you know, that you get to send home and and you see them in your day-to-day life. You'll see them in the grocery store. You'll see them, you know, in a shopping mall. And it's like, I remember when we took care of you. You know, and even now when we come up on our 15-year anniversary, we had a technician on site, one of our plan ops development folk, who wound up in the hospital, did not expect to find himself in an ICU, wound up having some emergency cardiac surgery. The camera came on, and there was an EICU nurse there, and he felt so comfortable because he had seen it from the inside, you know, and he was so happy that, you know, the team was watching him. And he knew what we do because anyone that, you know, comes into the CPL EICU area, we love to talk about what we do, and we love to give tours. And they see it. But to be on the other side of the camera and to save that life, it's amazing. And, you know, we've been doing it for so long that our executive team sees the benefit of having us co-located and of how we do the throughput process for everyone. 
So much so that um, going back probably about five years ago, our CEO came to me and I was very flattered. And he says, you guys did such a great job with length of stay in the ICU. So I'm patting myself on the back and he says, but you clogged up all our PCU or downgrade beds. Now what are you going to do? So it challenged us. You know, and the challenge was, you know, we've made this difference for our ICU population. What can we do for other populations? So then we started working on PCU length of stay, and we've significantly cut that in half. Um, and, you know, we can see that through the reporting that we get. Um, I get teletracking reports sent to me. I can see times. I can see length of stay. So, you know, we're proud of that. And, it, and it's spun off into so many different directions. In this day and age, we all talk about 30-day readmissions, very important. And they said, okay, well, you're now doing telemedicine visits with PCU populations or patients on the floor that aren't doing well. What can you do in the community? So we looked at our nursing facilities. So we partnered with 12 of those, and we have an initiative where if you have a patient that's in a skilled nursing facility that has left one of our Health First hospitals and they're not doing well, you can call the EICU and get a telemedicine consult. So we have a heads up of what's going on with the patient. And sometimes we can treat that patient on site. We've been successful 67% of the time, but sometimes they have to come back. So then again, being co-located, we know where the beds are in the system. The numbers are great, but at the end of the day, it's still that human factor that you have a dedicated team treating patients compassionately. And, you know, that's what makes me come to work every single day. I understand that there's 200-plus reports that are sent out to key people on your team. How do you collaborate? How do you work together to set future patient flow goals or to make adjustments to anything that when you're looking at those reports, it's like, you know, we need to fix that? I think an important aspect is benchmarking. While Linda is definitely more teletracking heavy than I am, we're looking at more from a patient movement perspective and then looking, like we said, at times and things like that. So using the reports from that feature, you know, helps us. But I think being able to say, what are you doing as an organization compared to a like organization or someone else, you know, around the nation that you're not a competitor of, but you're really, we're all in the same game of caring for people, making their lives matter and making it as easy for them. And I think having the ability to see the quality reports and to see dashboards and, and different formats, it, it unifies the playing field. We also use those reports in terms of how our nursing staff, we see that we need some education in the nursing staff. They don't realize the power of the tool that they have. And those reports can really show out trends of which nursing units get it and help us determine which charge nurses might have valuable information to share with their other charge nurses to get better use out of those nursing portals because the information that comes out of them is based on what's put in them. And if we have an ER who is so busy and they're not able to always put the isolation in, then we have to rely on those floor nurses and the floor clinical staff to get the information to us so that we're consistently using the most current information. If a patient's on isolation, we need to know it. If they're taken off, we need to know that as well. And it needs to be real time. We try to turn on as many interfaces as possible, but we still need that clinician's eye looking at it to make sure that the information that they're sending us to the bed control department is accurate across the board. So you've had so much success. What's next? Honestly, the disaster, we were just speaking about the disaster portal. We've had the recent hurricane. We've had a cruise ship incident recently with a whole bunch of sick patients. They weren't 
did they hit a wave or something? A lot of people got hurt. Yes, and I actually all came into saw that on a yeah, weather channel. Made the national yes. news. Those two things have, for me anyway, uh, when I get back from this conference, one of the first things I'm going to be doing is documenting all of the work we did on the disaster portal so that the next time there's a disaster, anybody, not just me and my staff that I've trained, anybody that has access can go in and get the ball rolling if we had a disaster. What are some of the key features or capabilities that really make that useful during a disaster? Well, we had a homegrown disaster application that no one used until there was a disaster. So the amount of time it took to train and retrain because of turnover, the disaster was over before we had enough people who knew how to use it working in the command centers. The teletracking module sits right on top of all the modules we already have. It looks just like everything else they're used to doing. The charge nurse clicks on it. She's like, oh, this looks like what I do every day. And she just went down her list and said, this patient needed ALS, this patient needed BLS, this patient, and just gave us a brief clinical report. The command center at Cape Canaveral was able to determine with the physician that was at the command center there which hospital was going to take the patients. We had accounts set up. I mean, it was so seamless because it was used to, it was what they were used to looking at. It was nothing new that we had to bring out once a year, retrain everybody. It's what they do every day. It was no different. They looked at it like, oh, this is nothing. It was, in fact, they were like, this was the best evacuation we've ever had, and we have to do it every single year multiple times. (laughs) And how do you report that information up to your different, you know, state, federal... Florida has mandated that we all reply to the database requests when they are updating all of our access, I mean, all of our systems, make sure that we have our um, helicopter um, available, um, how many beds we have available, how many ICU beds, how many pediatric beds, all the different levels of care. Be one of the security folks who's responsible for maintaining that communication with the state of Florida solely utilizes teletracking to get the answers for the questions that are in their database. So all of the census information, it just flows right over. We've created a spreadsheet. They just go in, plug in the numbers, get sent to him on a time loop, and so he can report it to the state. I can foresee at some point we will have an actual interface between teletracking and the state, and we'll just hit a button and we won't have to do any <laughs> calculating. So that's what I see for the future. <laughs> And I think our organization sees for the future that we need to remain partners in patient population management, so much so that when we do have a hurricane, Linda's team and my team, we have to relocate to an area that's safe. When we first started this going back, uh, I think it was about 2013-14, they said to my department, oh, we're just going to close the EICU, and I think you guys went to a skeleton crew and just one or two people at here homes, and there. At their big tertiary you facility, know, which was a nightmare. And... The, Within, I think it wasn't even 24 hours, we were just coming out of the disaster period. They said, how quickly can you get your teams back and running? So it was nice to see the value and that they missed us for that time, and they understand that now. So looking into the future, they are looking to relocate us to an area where we don't have to pick up and move for hurricanes. But we've, I hate to say, have gotten quite yes. expert at it now. <laughs> um, but our, our system is, is trying to figure that out, you know, where the next role is and where we need to be as a command center in a space that we can grow into instead of grow out of. Because right. we're now growing out of what we have so far. I've been a teletracking and throughput promoter from literally day one because, like I said, we had pieces of paper everywhere. But teletracking, to me, has met every single challenge. Every time we've asked them for something, they not only have responded, they have come up with even more 
for us to, to move together in the future. So partnering with teletracking, I think, has been the key to our success in the last 15 years of decreasing those wait times, improving the communication. When we first went live, the nurses on the floor wanted nothing to do with it. We had a downtime a few years ago. They didn't know how to act without their teletracking. It's they, great in the it just went yes. 180 degrees opposite from, <laughs> I don't want anything to do with it, to, oh my God, I can't live without it. So that is a testament to the work that you guys continue to do, improving throughput for and really improving patient care. This is the Patient Flow Podcast, powered by Teletracking, your source for insightful conversations by industry leaders making a difference in patient flow today.